chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 744, page 744 in the pew Bible this morning. Just two things to mention before we pray and read part of our passage this morning. For many of you, uh, school starts this week, right? I'm sorry in case you didn't know that yet. Uh, So praying for our students that go back, praying for those of you involved uh, with the school system, whether... Uh, teacher, coach, bus driver, nurse's aide, praying for you parents who homeschool. Uh, maybe you've already jumped into that, uh, but that's that time of year. Some of you love this time of year, new school supplies and folders and getting a plan, and some of you are just trying to ignore it, but it's coming. But uh, <laughs> uh, praying for all of you associated with school and those headed back to school this week. And then one more thing to mention, wanted to make you aware of this uh, for next Sunday as we walk through our auditorium refresh project. Now, a few of you have asked, why aren't there chairs here yet? Why haven't we done this? Well, it's going to take a little bit of time. There's some some lead time leading up to those things. And one of those things that we were still working on was a quote for the windows. And we received three quotes, and we have one that we really like and we'll bring next Sunday. Uh, We're going to have a brief business meeting next Sunday at 9.15. So before Sunday school, 9.15, uh, we'll meet up here, present that to you. Uh, I think it's very, uh, very favorable uh, for us as far as uh, uh, replacing the windows here. So we'll discuss that and bring that to a vote, and then, Lord willing, get things really moving in here. So next Sunday, nine fifteen before Sunday school, we will share that and uh, and vote on that next Sunday. If you found your way to Daniel chapter seven, let's pray, and then I'll read part of our passage for this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you. And as we've sung, Christ exalted is our song. Lord, help us to make much of Christ. Lord, as Paul said, uh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Lord, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would preach Christ crucified. It's foolishness to the world, but it is your wisdom to those who believe. Help us now, Lord, as we come to your word, to this passage. Lord, that may be a little difficult to understand. May we understand that you are sovereign through your word. That even Daniel, as he received these words, did not fully comprehend what everything was going to be. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Give us discernment. Help us to speak boldly and clearly where scripture speaks that way. And Lord, help us to trust you in those areas that may be a little foggier to us. But may we keep this in mind, that you are completely sovereign and in control of all things. Lord, and may that comfort us, and may that warn us as the day approaches with the return of Christ. Lord, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to read for us verses 13 and 14 by way of introduction this morning. I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Those of you who are parents right now of small children, and I mean small, maybe like 
like that four to seven or eight age range. And they're asking you, when's this going to happen? When are we going to do this? When's this going to happen? And what is your, what is generally your refrain? Later, <laughs> tomorrow, sometime in the next week, it's coming. My kids have already asked, when's Christmas again? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, it's coming. It's in a few months, right? Or I'll mention something to my children and say, we're going to do this. And in their minds, boom, it's going to be right now, right? We're, it's going to happen immediately. It's like, no, it, it's going to happen over the, the next few days or in a week, or we might do this. Their comprehension of time frame and timeline and when things are going to happen and how everything works together is a little different than ours as adults. We understand the nuances, the time, the the, when I say tomorrow, it may be in the morning, it may be in the evening. If we don't get around to it, it may be pushed off another day. We understand these, these things of how this language works. But for a child, they think it's, it's right now. And they want to know all the details. You don't need to worry about it. It's taken care of. As we come to Daniel chapter 7, we are entering the section of Daniel where Daniel receives several visions from God, whether they are visions directly or through dreams, they're they're. they're melded together here, but it's a sweeping plan of the future. It's a, it's a declaration of what's going to be. And our tendency as we come to these passages is to want to know every exact detail and all the timing. And there are some things that we can glean from these passages and say, yes, this is the order in which you're going to happen and, and this is what it's going to be like. But then there are some things that as we read these passages, we must remember it's in God's timing, not ours. And though we may want a timeline, an itinerary, God gives a general plan. And we are called to wait and to trust. In Daniel 7, Daniel receives a vision of four beasts. This vision is a companion to that of Daniel chapter 2. If you remember in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a statue. It's a dream of a statue with four different metals, gold, silver, and bronze, and then iron and feet mixed with iron and clay. And Daniel interprets this vision, and in doing so, he saves the lives of all the wise men of Babylon and endears himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. But through that, God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, of his overarching plan, that though these kingdoms seem powerful, there is one kingdom, right? If you remember the end of that dream, it starts out as a stone, not cut by human hands, but it appears and it grows and it overwhelms and completely obliterates this statue and it grows to fill the whole earth. And that's God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in Daniel chapter seven, we in a sense have this same vision, but yet from a different perspective, rather than the vision being received as a Gentile pagan king, it's given to Daniel as a faithful follower of the Lord. And these kingdoms are not a statue, but rather they are beasts. But the overarching message is the same. In the midst of judgment, God promises salvation. In the midst of the judgment of his people, because of their idolatry, God gives reassurance that his kingdom will come and will do away with the evil kingdoms of men. Daniel is being reminded of this. 
that in the midst of his judgment, because that's why the nation is in Israel, or excuse me, Israel is in exile because of their idolatry, their judgment. God reassures Daniel that his kingdom will come and will do away with the evil kingdoms of men. So as we approach Daniel 7, there's a few things to be aware of uh, in the the grand scheme of things in the book of Daniel. This is really a a hinge point, a turning point. Chapters 1 through 6 are narratives in the sense that they are court tales. They are accounts of what happened between the king and his court, whether it's Daniel or his companions or the other wise men. But now in Daniel 7 through the end, these are all visions. Visions of something that's coming to happen. And particularly, apocalyptic visions. This idea, it's different than just prophecy. It's dealing with the end times of God's grand scheme, his, his plan through the ages to the end of time. It's just bridge chapter. It harkens back to chapter 2, but it opens the door to the rest of, the sec- the rest of Daniel that deals with prophecy here. And as we jump into this chapter, it's important to note several things. The visions that occur here are not chronological with the account that's already happened. So as you think of the book of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6 are chronological, right? They're taken in the exile, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation, Belshazzar, then Daniel and the lion's den. Those happen in sequential order. But these visions that Daniel receives happen interspersed with those accounts. So as we look at Daniel 7, verse 1, it says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So this actually happens between chapters 4 and chapters 5 in the book of Daniel. So it's it's important to remember where this is placed uh, in the chronology of Daniel's exile. These visions are recorded in successive order, but they occur amongst the events of really chapters 4 through 6. And Daniel records this particular vision, the first year of Belshazzar's rule. And I think this is important because Belshazzar, well, he's not like Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, by the end of his reign, was sympathetic at least if he was not a true believer of Jehovah. He had humbled himself, God had humbled him, and he had given honor and glory to God. And now there's Belshazzar. A new king has come onto the scene. What's going to happen to the people? What's going to happen to those in exile? Daniel's asking these questions. He is worried. And perhaps God gives this vision as reassurance to Daniel in the midst of this uh, governmental change that he is still in control. So through this vision and its interpretation, God lays out a sweeping plan for the future. He doesn't give every little detail. Some things are vague and hard to understand. There is some interesting imagery that Daniel observes. But yet we can glean the purpose and plan of God through the ages. So let's walk through this here and its application for us today in Daniel chapter 7. So as we think of God's reassurance that his kingdom will come, he lays out the big picture and then narrows in through the interpretation that Daniel requests about a specific aspect of this vision. First off, the kingdoms of men will come to ruin, but the kingdom of God will remain forever. So if we remind ourselves where we're at, we're in Babylon. It's the first year of Belshazzar's reign. And Daniel saw a dream 
and visions of his head. Whether it was a dream or a vision or a combination, Daniel sees this as he was laying in his bed and he wrote them down. You ever have a dream and you wake up and you can kind of remember it, but not really? Uh, Daniel wakes up and he writes this down. <laughs> he remembers this very distinctly. And we have uh, the result of him writing that down here. And he says in verse two, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had an eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another one, horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. You read that and you think, Daniel, what did you eat before you went to bed? <laughs> right? Did you eat some flaming hot Cheetos? Too many slices of pizza? Like some bad vegetables? <laughs> what did you eat? Obviously, this was given by God to Daniel. And this vision is of four beasts. And I think it's interesting, the contrast, because it is a companion passage to Daniel 2. From the eyes of Daniel, in a sense, these kingdoms are beasts. They aren't beautiful statues and materials, but they are they are things that are horrific and that are dangerous and are, in a sense, evil looking. He has this visions of these four beasts. So let's walk through here and let's look at these beasts. And as we do this, as we come to this passage and we seek to understand what these are, we read them in relation to Daniel 2, because it's a companion passage, and also what else was revealed in Daniel and successive chapters. And then as we take a step back to world history and the rest of scripture, uh, in Revelation particularly looking back. And so though from this passage, Daniel doesn't say this is this kingdom. We understand the flow of history, other passages in Daniel, and as far as other passages in the New Testament and Old Testament as well that reveal uh, the identity of these beasts. So first off, Daniel has this vision of the four winds of heaven that were stirring up the great sea. The great sea is often referred to the Mediterranean. Uh, in, in the Near East, this was the great sea, but the great sea could also uh, be a synonym just for the earth itself, for a, a starting point, the palette for which everything else uh, is set on. And so this great sea is being stirred up by the winds of heaven, by, by the powers of God. And from the sea came four beasts. They aren't sea beasts, but rather they are just beasts coming from the earth. Particularly, their origin is not from heaven, 
as a heavenly beast, having a heavenly origin, but they come from the earth, denoting that these are relation to men. And the four beasts came up out of the sea, and they were all different from one another, verse 3 says. This is the first beast. It says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. This first beast uh, is referred to as Babylon. And this is clear from Daniel 2 with the head of gold. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. Babylon is this first beast. The imagery of a lion is well associated with the kingdom of Babylon, even lions with eagle's wings. You might think lions with eagle wings, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but in ancient Eastern mythology and storytelling, this crossover of animals uh, would be very normal. So it's present in Greek mythology. You have different parts of animals put together and they became mythical creatures. So Daniel seeing a lion with wings would not be out of the ordinary because they were often depicted that way. A lion was a royal, uh, had royal imagery. It still does today. And it has eagles wings. These are two proud animals. And then as he looked, the wings were plucked off as, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. So this first kingdom is interesting. This first beast, it's Babylon. It has this great presence and power with, with eagle's wings and the, the body of a lion, but then the wings were plucked off. This is an act of humiliation. Uh, if you are a bird and your wings are plucked off or they're clipped and you can't fly, sorry, penguins and ostriches, like what good are you as a bird? <laughs> it's a humbling thing. And it's an act of humiliation. But look at the result. It was lifted up from the ground. So it moves from its royal uh, presence to have its, its wings plucked off to then being lifted up and to stand as a man. And it was given the mind of a man. What is this referring to? This is referring to Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation, but then his recognition of who the one true God is. Because all these other beasts will remain beasts. But this is the only one that, in a sense, has any positive human characteristics. It was given the mind of a man. Nebuchadnezzar was proud, then he was humbled. He was himself lifted up by God and then given the mind of a man. He saw through his confession the end of Daniel chapter 4. But this is the second beast then. Behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. You will hear this phrase a lot, like a. So it resembles, but not quite exactly because there's something added to it or it's just a little bit different. Like a bear. And it was raised up on one side. It wasn't quite even. And this raised up on one side denotes that it's made up in a sense of two parts. We understand this second beast to be that of the Medes and the Persians. It's a, uh, a kingdom of two kingdoms, really, the Medes and the Persians, but the Persians were stronger than the Medes. And often that kingdom is referred to the, the kingdom of Persia, while it was the Medes and the Persians. It was a vicious kingdom. And in its mouth, between its teeth, it had three ribs. Now, it didn't just like barbecue. These ribs communicate something. And there's a question to what it could mean. Ribs just could be referring to the idea of flesh, and it was a vicious kingdom, and it 
devoured much. And that's what the vision says. Go and, and devour much. Or it could also refer specifically to three different kingdoms that it overcame. One was Egypt, one was uh, the kingdom of Lydia, and the other one was that of Babylon. And different scholars go either way, but it's the idea that this bear, this kingdom conquered, it devoured much flesh, and it conquered all of its other enemies. The bear is the Medes and Persians. And this would be Darius the Mede. This is Cyrus the Persian. This is Xerxes, who conquered so much of the world, but yet did not conquer Greece. This is the second kingdom. Verse 6, after this, I looked, and behold, another, this one like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. This leopard uh, was known to be very fast. A leopard is speedy, and with four wings communicates that of speed, because if two wings are good, four is better. <laughs> this idea of swiftness, a leopard that can move and bound quickly. With four wings, it quickly rises and overtakes. And this is the kingdom of Greece, particularly of Alexander the Great. Alexander conquered the known world in just a few years. From Macedonia and Greece through Turkey and the Near East through Persia all the way to India. His, his conquering was amazing in such a brief time. It was so swift. But yet he died young and then his kingdom, we know from history and from other aspects here in Daniel, was split into four different kingdoms. And we see this reflected in verse 6, and it says, And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So you have Babylon, and you have the Medes and the Persian as the bear, and then you have the leopard that was swift, but with four heads. As Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was split into four smaller kingdoms, ruled by four of his generals uh, in, uh, in his in his. Uh, in his kingdom. And so that's the third animal. And then we come to beast four. And this one is, as Daniel says, unlike the other three. And verse seven says, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. So this one is more terrifying, more dreadful, and more is the strongest of the four. It had great iron teeth and it devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before, and it had ten horns. So it is, it's in a league of its own. It's kicked up a notch. It conquers and devours. It is more powerful and terrifying than the other three kingdoms. And it conquers and stamps out everything with its feet. It is ruthless and almost barbaric. It's terrifying. Iron teeth devoured. Later on, we'll talk about how it has bronze claws, this idea of tearing and ripping. What kingdom would this be? We understand this to be the Roman Empire, which follows up Greece. This was a ruthless kingdom that conquered the known Mediterranean from Britain to the Near East to Egypt, the, basically the known world at the time. And anybody who stood in its way was done away with. But then there's this other imagery that comes with it. 
It had 10 horns. And it was different than all the other beasts. Verse eight, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one. So this beast has 10 horns. Horns communicate authority and power and kingship and dominion. So you hear the horn of salvation is a phrase often used in the Psalms. Horn demonstrates power. You look at an animal that has a horn, that's in a sense that your attention is drawn there. It's where the power is. So it's 10 horns. So whether it's 10 kingdoms or 10 kings, among them came a little horn before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So this little horn does away with three of the other horns. And behold, in this horn, that is the little horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon was made to stand on two feet and he had the mind of a man. Here, this little horn has the eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things. This is in a negative context. The eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. He's boastful. He looks around and he sees and he thinks he knows. This little horn is one speaking proud blasphemies against God. We'll read more of this. It's thinking of understanding and knowledge. What a shocking vision this is. <laughs> Four beasts increasing in terror and power and might and these horns, what is going on? But before Daniel can even ask this, he sees something else. And this is important. He says in verse nine, and as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancients of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. So Daniel's vision switches from these four beasts to the throne room of God. Thrones were placed. If you think of Revelation, you have God's throne. Then you have the throne of other elders and rulers there in his presence. And the ancient of days took his seat. This is God, God the Father. His clothing was white as snow, denoting purity and holiness. The hair of his head was like pure wool, again, denoting purity and holiness, but also eternality. The idea of wool hair, white hair, it denotes age. <laughs> and here he is the ancient of days. He is the eternal one. And his throne is one of judgment. The idea of fiery flames. Wheels were burning fire. If you are familiar with Ezekiel, right? The wheel and a wheel and a wheel. There's a couple of good gospel songs, uh, old gospel songs. Ezekiel saw the wheel. The wheels denote turning or mechanism, or chariots burning with fire. It's the idea of being ready for war. Verse 10, a stream of fire issued, and it came out before him. This is judgment, and thousands and thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. This repetition is to denote just an in, uncountable amount. Just a mass of people and angels that you can't even count standing before him, serving him. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. So we see these beasts coming out, these kingdoms, 
But yet then we look and we see God, the Father, the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne, ready to dispense judgment. And he opens the books. These books are the books of, of record, of what you've done, of what these kingdoms have done. And he's going to sit in judgment. He's going to give recompense for what they have done. Verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. So imagine this, Daniel's having this vision. He sees the beast, but now he's transfixed by the, the throne room of God. But there's this annoying voice. It's like the annoying kid in the back of the class, just talking back there and you can't help but hear it. Daniel turns around and he sees this little horn that was speaking. And as he looked, the beast was killed. This is the fourth beast. The beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. The fourth beast, the fourth beast is destroyed, completely annihilated, burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What does that phrase mean? Well, we look at God's response to the first three kingdoms and the fourth. The first three kingdoms were consecutive. Babylon was conquered by the Medes and Persians, but they weren't completely annihilated. They were absorbed into the Medes and Persians. And then as the, the Greeks came along and conquered the Medes and Persians, they were absorbed uh, into the Greeks. And as Rome came along, though they were ones who devoured and destroyed much, the Greeks were absorbed into the Roman Empire. Those kingdoms, though they were not in power, their people were absorbed into the following kingdoms. They weren't completely annihilated. But here, this fourth kingdom is different. While their lives were prolonged for a season and a time, the rest, uh, the, the fourth beast, its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. We see how God's judgment is ultimately poured out on this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom. This fourth beast, so we understand it to be Rome, there's a near fulfillment, but then also the far fulfillment. My son will ask me, Dad, are we going to do this tomorrow? Yes. He wakes up in the morning. He thinks we're going to do what he asked right away in the morning. Well, that might not be the case. It might be in the afternoon. As God gives prophecy and these visions to Daniel, some of the things have a near fulfillment. Some of them have a far fulfillment. You don't know exactly what God's timing will be. The first three kingdoms have come and gone, and part of the fourth kingdom has occurred. But it seems that this fourth kingdom, this Roman empire that was present in the Mediterranean, will continue. And its, its, uh, its attitude, the spirit of it continues now through the kingdoms of the earth that are set against God, but there will be coming a day when there's going to be this renewed, uh, this renewed animosity towards God and his people through this revived kingdom. And it's going to be ultimately obliterated by God and his judgment. The kingdoms of men will come to ruin, but the kingdom of God will remain forever. So God gives his vision to Daniel, this overarching picture. Four kingdoms, the fourth kingdom is going to be dead set against God's people, but God is going to dispense judgment and completely obliterate it. And then we saw more. Verse 13, 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, though with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Verses 13 and 14 are the culmination of God's plan for the future. His kingdom given to one like the Son of Man. We know that this is Jesus. He comes with the clouds of heaven, which denote deity. And where is his source? The clouds of heaven. (laughs) He doesn't come from the sea that is being turned, but he comes from heaven with the clouds. And he is given this kingdom. And it was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This is Jesus. This is the, the Jesus we read of in the New Testament. The one who's one of his favorite phrases is the son of man. That's why Cain read from Mark 13. As Jesus recounts for them that as they're looking at the temple, there's going to be one coming like the son of man with clouds. That's Jesus in his second coming. When he returns and all authority and dominion will be given to him. And every knee and tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue confess and will demonstrate who he is. This is the overarching plan of God. Evil kingdoms rise and fall, but in the end, the kingdom of God will come and it will last forever. This is Jesus ruling and reigning as the eternal king without end. As Daniel witnessed this, he had a few questions, (laughs) as you can imagine. And that's what happens next. And particularly, he had questions about this fourth kingdom. Second point here is the kingdom of God prevails through the terrifying reign of the fourth beast. Daniel was vexed. His visions alarmed him, and he wanted to know more. And so he asked one who stood next to him. It'd be an angel. We don't know the identity of this angel directly, But he made known to Daniel these things in verse 16. And this is his summary in verse 17 and 18. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. That's the summary. (laughs) Human kings will rule and reign, but yet one will come and the saints of the Most High will be given a kingdom and will reign forever and ever in that kingdom. That did not suffice for Daniel. He wanted to know more. Verse 19, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. This fourth beast that was exceedingly terrifying. Teeth of iron, claws of bronze, devoured and broke. About the ten horns and the three that fell. And the little horn that seemed greater than its companions. And this is what he saw. He says, verse 21, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. So as he sees this vision, this horn that grew up, that took out three other horns, directly made war against saints, the followers of God, and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given, the time when the saints came to possess the kingdom. So this little horn is a ruler that's going to be set specifically against God's followers. We would understand this to be the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness from 1 Thessalonians. The Antichrist in in Revelation. This human ruler imbued with the power of Satan. God's ultimate enemy to 
persecute and kill the saints of God to fight against his kingdom. But God comes and dispenses judgment and does away with him. But this is what he said, verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, that shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, and it shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. So we see some of this with the first Roman Empire, but there's in a sense that this is yet to happen. This entire kingdom that will devour the whole earth, trample it and break it into pieces. For the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall rise after them. It may be a, a, a conglomeration of kingdoms coming together of rulers, but this one that comes will be different from the former ones. He shall do away with three of these kings. And this is how he's different. He speaks words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That's the idea of kill. He shall think to change the times and the law. He seeks to just completely overhaul the, the natural order of things. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. This time, times, and half a time is an important marker. It's a phrase used to denote a year, and it's used again in Daniel. A time is a year. So as we look at this phrase, time, one year, times, two year, and half a time, that'd be half a year. So that'd be three and a half. As we think of the, the grand scheme of God's plan for the future, we understand to be part of the tribulation, the time in which God's judgment is poured out on the earth through God's enemies rising up against him. And for three and a half years, this little horn, this Antichrist, will wage war against God and any who claim his name here on the earth. But we know its ultimate end. Verse 26, the court shall sit in judgment. His dominion will be taken away and be consumed and destroyed. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all his dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. Daniel was greatly alarmed and his color changed, but he kept the matter in his heart. There's a lot here and we could dive in for several weeks on this. But I, it's important for us to keep the grand scheme in mind. The three kingdoms have come and gone, but this fourth kingdom is different. It's distinct. It's, it's uh, emphasized. Or it's heightened. And particularly this little horn, this ruler that rises up and that particularly reigns against, rules and reigns with the attitude against God. And for Daniel, this was all future. And as we look at this prophecy, this vision, we see these other three kingdoms and this partial fulfillment of the fourth. But this fourth kingdom has not fully manifested itself like God has said here. So we understand how there's coming a day when this fourth kingdom shall rise again against God. And this little horn, this antichrist, this one set against God will rise up and for three and a half years make war against God and his people. But ultimately, the Ancient of Days will come and dispense judgment on him. And not the fourth kingdom, but rather the kingdom of God will endure forever. Daniel is alarmed and he's shaken, but yet he keeps this matter close to his heart. So as we think of this big drink here from the fire hose, what are some things that we can remember? 
Well, as Daniel was encouraged, one thing to remember is this, is that God is not done with his people, despite what the circumstances might say. Daniel and the nation of Israel was in exile. Had God given them over to these human rulers? No. God was not done with them. In fact, God was working through these human earthly rulers to then return the nation to where they should be. And that God's people, his followers, will have an ultimate day in which they rule and reign with the Son of Man forever. God is not done with his people despite what the circumstances might say in the world around us. It's good for us to remember today. (laughs) As God is building his church, but yet the world is set against the gospel, we know that God is not done and there will be a day when his glory is revealed and his kingdom comes here on earth. Secondly, it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is important to remember. It's going to get worse before it gets better. This fourth kingdom, this little horn will rise up and it will wage war against God's followers. And it's going to be a time of persecution, of death, of difficulty. But you know it's going to get worse, but it will get infinitely better. There's certain veins of theology that believe that if we work and work and work, we can bring in the kingdom of God. We can make things so great on earth that God finally says, great, here's my kingdom. (laughs) The scripture says the complete opposite. It's going to get so terrible that the only thing that can fix it is God's intervening hand in making things right. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Thirdly, God has a plan. We don't know all the details. So don't speculate or pronounce that you know. I see far too many articles on Facebook and social media and Jesus is coming back. Yes, he is. He is. But like the famous writer wrote in 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. He was wrong. As we continue in the book of Daniel, we're going to read of different kingdoms and kings and rising and falling. And there's, we're prone to speculate. Well, is this this? Is this this? We need to be careful that we don't speak so authoritatively that we say it has to be this when Scripture does not give clear identity or identification to who these people or kingdoms are. You must remember, there's been 2,000 years A thousand years ago, perhaps somebody thought that this was this kingdom, but yet this kingdom's risen and fallen and is no more. So leave God's plan to him. Seek to understand what we can understand, but don't speculate or pronounce judgment when we don't truly know. And lastly, number four, in light of all these things, we need to proclaim the coming kingdom. Do not hide from the present one. What do I mean by that? Proclaim the coming kingdom. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim the message of the gospel that Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to stand before him? Will you bow in humble worship or will you bow because he is the one judging you for your sin? Proclaim the coming kingdom. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Proclaim that and don't hide from the present one. Don't build a bunker and say, world, stay away from me. 
We are given this encouragement from God's word to be a light to the world around us, not to hole up in our churches and houses and not talk to a world that is dying and going to hell. If anything, this should motivate us to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming back. Yes, things are going to get worse. It's going to be scary. There's going to be judgment and persecution, but Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Proclaim the coming kingdom and don't hide from the present one. One author said this about Revelation, but I would apply it here to Daniel. This was written not that we would make bunkers and hide from people, but that we would make our kitchen tables bigger and invite people to eat with us. What does he mean by that? He means we know what happens in the end. We need not be afraid. So invite people, encourage them to come and with boldness and love and compassion, proclaim to them that Jesus is coming back. Proclaim to them the gospel. Proclaim to them their need to trust Jesus as their savior. Don't hide from the world, but rather with boldness, face it and proclaim that Jesus is coming back. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, Take that truth from this message. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to stand before the one who comes as a son of man with the clouds of heaven, who's been sent by the ancient of days with fire and a chariot to dispense judgment? Will you see him as your conquering Lord and Savior or will you fear him as one who's come to bring your doom? Trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. God is not done with his people. It's going to get worse before it gets better. God has a plan. We don't know all the details, but let us proclaim the coming kingdom. Just finish briefly with this. This is a song entitled Ancient of Days. Uh, it's by a, a group that we sing many of their songs by City of Light. And I just love the words. Listen to this. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the ancient of days. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me, I am not alone. Oh, his love is sure and he knows my name, for my God is the ancient of days. Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of of the ancient of days. None above him, none before him, all of time in his hands. For his throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name. For my God is the ancient of days. As we read Daniel 7, and we see the vision of these beasts, which are kingdoms, and this final kingdom that will wage war against God and his people. Let us rest in the truth of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man and his ultimate plan in setting up his kingdom forever. And may we proclaim it if you know Christ. And may we submit ourselves to Christ if you don't know him as your Savior. For that day is coming, and it is sure. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these hard things of scripture. Lord, we thank you for your plan that will work itself out. Lord, help us to remain faithful in the midst of the unknown. Help us to seek to understand what we can understand from your word. To know your sovereign plan through history. 
what's happened and what is yet to come. And may we rest in the fact that you are in ultimate control. You are the ancient of days. And we can stand before you because of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Final thought from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.